Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Brooks Clemens, a business analyst for Adidas in the running department. Brooks talks us through the management of technology from development through implementation and delivery into the sports market. He explains some factors that drive innovation from a business standpoint and gives his thoughts on running shoe advances over the last few years. Remember to check out our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Enjoy! Welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. This is Henry and Mike. Hey, everyone. We're here today with Brooks Clemens from Adidas. He's the uh, he's a business analyst for the running department. Yeah, Brooks, you want to say hi? To the... Good afternoon, everyone. Or so, good morning, depending on where you're at. <laughs> Evening, yes. So, Brooks, do you want to just uh, start by telling us a bit about how you got into the um, into sports and, and how you got ended up at Adidas? Actually, this this will be my fourth position at Adidas uh, since I started out. I, I started out almost in the same role that I have now, just just assisting instead of actually running the role. How how I ended up here is is an interesting story. I, I grew up in Eugene. I was I was born in Eugene. I, I went to the University of Oregon. I had attempted at one point to get a get a roster spot at the University of Oregon track team. So so all of that essentially said Nike, Nike, Nike. Track team. Uh, so I. I have uh, a family member who, who worked at Adidas, and I, and I did a project on it, and I've always had um, a liking for the sports industry, and, and I was always trying to think of, of things that I wanted to do when I grew up and became an adult, and um, I wanted to be involved in sports somehow, since that ruled a majority of my life uh, growing up, so it, it just so happened that, that I knew someone in the industry who I was able to do a project on, and, and you know, the, the year after I graduated college, the economy tanked, so, you know, just the fact that I got in and, and all the all the ducks kind of lined up in a row was was something I look back on and think I was pretty lucky to get. But it, it was more or less just, um, I knew I wanted to work for one of the sports companies in, in Oregon, and there just so happens to be four or five of them, and Adidas was the one that, um, that I landed in. And as I, you know, started to work and, and understand the company, I... I grew to love the products uh, more than than I ever thought I knew. So that's kind of how I started. Very good. How long have you How long have you been there in total? Um, as of September, this would be my fourth year. A lot of the stuff that we've we've spoken about on the podcast is is kind of lab based or kind of starts at the at the prototypes and the beginnings of products. And so I think we're we're interested in in finding out how technologies and, and new products make it from the lab and the testing. To um, to the shelves, basically, and how they how they go through the company. So, is there is there a general path for new new technologies through the company? There's there's many pathways actually. To be truthful, some of them start in the lab where there's a, a sports researcher who has an idea for a technology, and he'll start to research the technology, whether it be you know midsole foam to different compounds to lighten the the footwear piece or the apparel piece. Um, make it perform better in, in whichever context that they're using it in. Um, and then they'll, they'll shop it around. So they'll go to each different sport category. If, if it's soccer or, or football, uh, where you're at or American football, uh, running, uh, training, whatever the business unit is. And they'll kind of shop it around and, and see which is the best use for this technology. Um, there's, there's some that are consumer driven where, uh, focus groups will be had and, and, We'll get an idea of what the consumer's almost looking for and then think almost one step ahead of that and where the market's trending. And once we get an understanding of where the market's going to trend, we go back to, uh, to the, to the development arm or the research arm and say, this is what we foresee the future of this product being. So within the context of running, 
you know, this is where we see the future of visible technologies. So visible technologies being uh, technologies that are developed that you can see visibly on the shoe. It's called out um, in any certain way. Nike has shocks. We have bounce. Um, this this is a visible technology where you can actually see something and, you know, almost manipulate it in your hand and, and see uh, intuitively how that would work. That uh, can sometimes be a consumer-driven, um, but a lot of times it's it's also just kind of chance. You know, we happen to find something or happen to see something along the way researching something else that happens in every other industry, and then it just kind of takes off from there. It sounds like that's kind of um, segmented, I guess. Like, do engineers sit in on the focus groups, or is it kind of segmented where an idea originates in engineering or marketing comes to engineering with a, a general trend? Yeah, um, typically, actually, you'll, you'll have uh, a whole different cast of players sitting at, at a focus group. You'll have developers who, who work with factories to be able to make sure that if there is an idea that comes of this, that the product can be put to market at a quick time. Or, you know, if not, then, you know, the, the, the project can kind of be shelved for a bit and, until, you know, technology catches up with even the technology we want to develop. Engineers will sit in, designers will sit in it, uh, go to market or marketers will, will sit in on the meeting and conduct them. Uh, essentially, everyone who plays within uh, the field will typically sit in a, a focus group and, and get an understanding for what's going on. So if they're a researcher, they can start to research technologies that fit what the consumer's talking about or what the issues are that are being discussed. Um, if it's a designer, he can start to design products that have either the look, the feel, or some technologies even uh, that, that are being discussed or, or that almost he sees is going to be the, the new frontier for, for that market segment. And then the marketers can get an idea of what the you know customer actually wants so they can start to merchandise their product segments a little bit better. I guess I'm wondering how, how frequent these focus groups are or if there's if there are like X times per year that, that new technologies are discussed or new technologies are, are intended to be released. Is there is there a kind of a, a schedule like that to, to keep a pace? Um, well, being from the finance end, it's almost as budgets dictate. We like to pinch that stuff pretty quick. Um, and, and hold on to it for a rainy day. But um, to, to be truthful, it, it almost depends. There, there are a number of events. The events are a very good opportunity for focus groups, especially if you're the marquee brand at the event. Because mm -hmm. what you can do is, is you can almost uh, box out all the other competition and just have full access to everyone at your event, and you're the only brand there. So you can, you can get feedback, and you can have almost unlimited access to whoever you want. Um, sometimes you're, you're at joint events like conferences or you're at, you know, some type of, of, uh, fair or something like that. So you need to almost market yourself as someone you need to. Um, a lot of other times it's just contacts. So we'll sit down and, you know, there will be a cross country season. So we know that we'll want to do a number of focus groups within that cross country season. And, you know, someone in the business unit has a team that they coach. So, you know, if, if, if the initiative is going to be, for teenagers, then we'll get a bunch of teenagers from that team to come in and, you know, incentivize them somehow just so they don't, you know, feel like we're, we're just milking them for nothing um, because it is a two-way street. You know, we rely heavily on consumers and, that, and consumers, you know, shop for our product. So we believe it's a two-way street. So at that same time, you know, we, we want to make sure that, that they feel that they're a part of the process as well and are just, um, you know, being brought in for nothing. So a lot of times that's how they can kind of spontaneously happen. There are other needs sometimes that come up, questions that come up with certain accounts. So in the United States, there are, you know, large big box accounts like Dick's Sporting Goods and, and 
Sports Authority and other people like that. Some, you know, there are smaller running te- running specialty groups that have you know smaller shops, and a lot of times uh, they will come in for a meeting and you know ask certain questions, and that will spawn uh, the need for a focus group or a quick turnaround focus group. So we'll meet with them and then you know kind of come back to them at a later meeting point and and either try and get our point across or or give them some answers to some of the questions that they were that they were asking. Um, so really, there's there's a whole mess of reasons on on how focus groups come about. Um, some planned, some structured, you know, and happen every year that coincide with events that you have, and and some just kind of, you know, come out of out of a conversation. Are there any challenges kind of developing project products to target both the kind of the average consumer weekend warrior versus some of your elite athletes? Is the process any different? Like, do you specifically work with? Um, I don't know someone like Derek Rose is one of your athletes. Do you specifically work with him to to design stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that athletes like Derek Rose influence the the other products that you have. Um, kind of like a trickle I, down. So you kind of do you? Design yeah, stuff I, I mean, uh, the the original example of this is is Jordan and Michael Jordan influenced the rest of the Nike basketball line. Um, it's been documented in almost you know every book written about that company that. You know, the, the thing that really took off was the fact that they had Michael Jordan. I mean, they had products and they had, uh, you know, a, a breadth of running shoes. But un, until there was an athlete that that legitimized that brand or that that product, um, you know, it made it very difficult to be able to show value in the other ones. So it's almost that that marquee figure provides legitimacy for the rest of the brand or the rest of the product. So. With ours, yeah, I, I mean, we do develop products specifically for the athletes that we sponsor, and you know, uh, almost to to no expense sparing um, do we go to, to to be able to make that product happen. We want to make it the best product we absolutely can make, and then you know, we 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 try and model that as we go down, but but understand economies of scale, and that you know, sometimes some of the materials that are used in in some of the inline products is what we'll call it, or, or products that are offered, um, you know, to the market. Uh, it's too expensive. So if, you know, if we wanted to make Derek Rose's specific shoe available to the rest of the market, I mean, there are a bunch of personal tweaks that are done to that shoe. Um, you know, we have the Derek Rose shoe out on the market, but there are personal requests that he has for that shoe. And sometimes if an athlete has a lot of requests, um, you know, that shoe can almost retail for, for 400 bucks. And, you know, you're going to have a very small group of consumers that is willing to pay $400. For a shoe, so a lot of times, yeah, the other products that are made are almost inspired by uh, the the products that are developed or engineered for those elite level athletes. But they're almost done so that we can offer it at a price point that is palatable to the consumer, um, but at the same time, um, you know, still maintains a lot of those unique qualities that make that shoe an elite level shoe or or apparel piece, an elite a level apparel piece. When you say kind of elite level apparel, do you mean do they come to you mostly with fashion requests or is it a, like, I want a perf- like performance request, I want to run faster, jump higher, or is it a kind of a mix of the two? Elite level pieces often can be even seen as price points. So the higher the price point, the more intrinsic value that piece has, you know, the look as well. But a lot of times it's materials. Um, so if you're making, and, and this all speaks specifically to apparel to start, um, if you're making an apparel piece for, let's say, uh, a sprinter, um, the compression needs to be of a certain quality to be able to, to hold in the muscle groups. So, so we developed a technology called PowerBand, PowerWeb, and what it is is it's a, it's a thin 
structural piece of overlay material that is put onto the compression short to support major muscle groups. And what this will allow um, you to do is to be able to um, sprint or do whatever um, high energy activity it is at a faster level for a more sustained amount of time. We almost liken it to if you're doing push-ups on the ground, try doing push-ups on a ground and then push-ups on a mattress and see which is more exhausting. Um, obviously, the, the mattress is going to give way a little more, so you're going to be using more energy to be able to push against it. So if your muscles have something that's stronger to push against, it's, it's going to decrease the amount of muscle fatigue and actually give you a little bit of energy return um, in the process. <clears throat> so that's almost considered an elite piece of apparel. It's, it's something that, that performs a function beyond just covering your body. Moisture wicking technology, um, this is also something that is that has been pretty prevalent in the apparel um, side of things in terms of, of forming an elite level piece. If you're running a marathon, you know, and your shirt's collecting and, and holding water like cotton is, uh, you're not going to do quite as well as someone who has a piece on, or at least in theory, you're not going to do quite as well as someone who has a piece on that uh, the water is just wicking right off the material. So that's another um, technology innovation for apparel that is seen to um, almost cander to the elite level um, athlete. And then in footwear, you know, it can be anything from breathability to um, slight energy return to articulation in the midsole, which just means that the, that you can manipulate the shoe almost in 360 degrees, crumple it up. Um, we have the, the Climate Cool Ride, Nike has the, the Nike Free, um, and so on. These are almost seen as elite level products that um, were formed out of a need to, you know, not only strengthen feet, but give the, the shoe more flexibility so your, your foot moves in more of a natural sense and so on. So these are products that are developed almost with an elite mindset there, but can still almost be broken down to be made available to the rest of the consumer market. Slight, slight change in, in direction. Um, are there, I think earlier you, earlier you mentioned that some departments may, may choose to hold on to a piece of technology or, or a new design. Is does that ever happen where you need to, or, or there are innovations that have been made, technologies that have been developed, but the public isn't quite ready for them? And I guess as, as kind of a second question, um, is is there an education process that you have to keep in mind when bringing out something new? Like Sure, yeah, and, I, and, and each one of those questions is, is different in their own right, but they all tie in together. Yeah, so cool. so is, there, is there technology that we hold on to? Um, that, that we deem that the market isn't ready for, that we have seen that the market isn't ready for. Yes, of course. I mean, you know, if you think you have a, a team of researchers who are, who are all researching on different products, I think a lot of times there are products, you know, within a single selling season, uh, you know, a single six month period that the market just isn't ready for. And if you think, you know, a, a, a span of time to be able to develop a product from, um, initial research of materials and, and technologies to, you know, factory production to hitting the shelves is about, you know, eight to, to 18 months is about the, the product life cycle um, from that standpoint. So if we develop a technology that we can't see a consumer buying or understanding within the next, you know, 18 months, then yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be shelved, but it won't be shelved from the part that it'll be stuck on the highest shelf and we'll collect dust and you know, one day when we're cleaning the office, we'll be like, oh, wow, we, we forgot about this technology that, that we created two years ago and, and we missed the market on it. No, I think a lot of times the, the further you push 
the the scope of innovation, the more relevant technologies can trickle down from that. I mean, you're going to have the tip of the spear, but there's going to be so much more um, to that spear that can almost spin off of it. So yeah, there's going to be definite technologies that um, that come about. One one of them was carbon fiber. I mean, you know, they were making carbon fiber components for for planes and and cars well before we were putting it into um, sports products. And now, you know, they they make bicycles out of it. They make uh, bicycling shoes out of it. I mean, the compound is just there. So, you know, technologies like that, you know, it took a long time for consumers to understand the the need for it or recognize its, its usefulness within the sport. So I guess at the same time, you want to be able to show some sort of progression, like like maybe start in, in one kind of line of technologies and then improve that and improve along it and kind of bring bring the consumer up to the peak of that technology slowly rather than just rather than just kind of starting it okay and going to best you want to kind of bring them up as as time goes on is that yeah i mean i, I think methodologies and research are fairly similar across a lot of in- industries so you know whether you're researching technologies on drugs or researching technologies on um, materials or you're researching you know, sports technologies on soccer balls for instance i mean i, I think the methodologies used um, across the board are fairly similar. So you're going to get products that, yeah, you, you, you have an idea for, and then you recognize potentially where that product could take you or what that product's potential is. And, and so you build it to that. So you build it to, to be the, the best of what it could be and, and maximize the, that product's or that technology's potential. Um, but at the same time, you can, you can see a lot of things that spin off of it. You know, you see some, some failed experiments that turn into something that you'll see, oh, wow, but that will work for this, um, or that will work for this sport, or this will help with, with this technology to, to help it come about. So, you know, even some technologies that are made for um, unrelated purposes can end up, um, you know, gathering synergies and, and helping one another out. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of that in that uh, you're going to try and make that product to be the best it can. Um, but sometimes, you know, there are, there are spinoffs from that technology that are unforeseen and, and sometimes those even become the better technologies than, one, than the ones that they are set out to be. Is there, um, when, when you're releasing new products, like, like extraordinarily new things, like for example, um, a few years ago there was the, the first electronic shoe released by Adidas. Uh, Adidas. <laughs> is, there, is there a process in mind or is it, is it something that, that takes a lot of thought on the part of the, the, the business people, the marketing people? on how, how the public are prepared or how the public are made aware of the technologies and, and just kind of the education process like that? Oh, yeah. There are, there are, there is uh, an entire department devoted to that wow. where we take a technology and, and need to show its usefulness or explain even what the product is. A lot of times, some of the product, you, you can't see the technology in it, uh, much like that intelligent shoe, all the components were in it. So there was a, a almost a clear piece of plastic placed underneath it, so it's almost like a window. So you can see in it and see the, the intricate moving parts of what's going on and then explain it. So sometimes you don't have that clear window into what that technology is. So there is, there's a department that um, will come up with, with creative ways to make the product's technology um, not only resonate with the consumer, but make it understandable and, and have a value-added purpose to whatever the consumer's buying it for. So if, if we come out with the, the intelligent shoe, it's not only showing that the components inside are actually working when you push the increase 
cushion or, or decrease cushion buttons on the side of the midsole. But what decreasing cushioning is for or can help you with or what increased cushioning is for or can help you with. So a lot of those components of the shoe that have been put into that we understand from, you know, a, a product creation and, and a product technology standpoint and even a go-to-market standpoint, um, a lot of consumers will just say, wow, that's a really expensive running shoe um, and I can buy a cushioned running shoe for far less than that and I don't really know why I would need to adjust the cushioning on the shoe because I love this shoe and I bought it, you know, for the past hundred years and I'm never going to switch. Um, and then there are those that, that, you know, are like, wow, that's a really cool shoe. That's new technology. You don't need to tell me anything about it. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to figure it out for myself on what's going on because I love to do that. And then there are, you know, another consumer that's a little skeptical but is open to something like that. And I think that's where a lot of the education comes in and into directing the consumer to the different aspects of the shoe, um, why we created the different aspects for the shoe and how we think that it can help you. And hopefully you'll you'll see the value in that and we'll take the shoe to the register. Um, okay, moving on now. So I think you, you're you quite a keen runner and, and I'd say pretty well involved in, in the latest in running technology in the last many years. And, and I thought we'd just kind of ask your opinion on, on the progress of running shoes as of late, especially the, um, the, the trend of minimalist running footwear lately um yes so what yes. what uh like over over time what what improvements do you think you've seen from a runner's perspective in in the latest of running technology um well to start that yes yes wasn't how um how much i i've, I've known or, or or how smart i am about running technologies now that yes yes was was i understood the question oh. so <laughs> not trying to be arrogant um the right. the uh the I guess the evolution of minimalist running as an athlete from a personal standpoint, taking myself away from the professional aspect of it, mm-hmm. the closer my foot can get to the ground, the closer my foot can mimic what it was, what it was engineered to do um, and what is it's evolved to do is, is a plus. I think that, that you become a stronger athlete, you become a more resilient athlete and more able to, to resist injuries when, when you do something like like putting your foot closer to the ground. So um, minimalist technology has, has definitely made it leaps and bounds since it first started, you know, with with barefoot running initially, and then Nike would come about with the Nike Free, at least from a commercial standpoint, come come with the Nike Free um, to be able to, to bring that technology closer to market. Um, and now, you know, it's just exploded. So Sacconi has a minimalist shoe. New Balance has that line of Nimbus um, where, it's, where it's minimalist. And I guess the the rebirth of, of the Nike free, but even lower to the ground, um, is, you know, the Vibram five finger toe, which is almost the most radical of all the ideas where you're taking a, a shoe that looks like a normal shoe and turning it into almost, you know, a gorilla foot is what I've been told it, it looks like exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. so, so I think all these technologies are, are reasonable and not only reasonable, but, but very useful if they're, you know, executed right, and I think that execution is is the key component in many things. So, um, from so a minimal, you mean executed by the company that's selling them or the athlete themselves? I think both. I think for uh, the company that's selling that product, they need to execute their product in in a way to make the consumer understand why they developed it. And I think from a consumer standpoint, um, you also have to understand that there's more to the barefoot movement than just companies wanting to make a profit. 
um, that's definitely something that's seen as the forefront because, you know, everyone has a shoe out and it's, and it's seen as the latest trend and the latest and greatest. But, you know, cultures have been running barefoot for many years and, and, you know, people have written books about this and you can just almost open up any old National Geographic and see that there's not a lot of, um, indigenous cultures wearing shoes. Um, so the thought of going barefoot isn't, you know, anything revolutionary. Um, but I think as, as an American culture or as a Western culture, you know, our, our feet have been raised off the ground for quite a long time and have been in very cushioned and, and soft shoes. So, um, at least as far as the, the product technology standpoint, um, and even this is where education comes in, the better we can educate consumers on, on how to use this product, um, to not only better their athletic prowess or their athletic resiliency or performance, but do it in a way that will keep them safe and injury free so they can enjoy the benefits of, of, you know, starting to strengthen their feet. I think as, as a company that that's on us to, to be able to inform the consumer as well, because there are going to be a lot of consumers out there that, that aren't as skeptical, um, about the movement itself and more just look at the aesthetics of the shoe or what the shoe looks like. Um, and really want that without understanding really what they're getting themselves into and aren't going to go out and research, you know, okay, so I'm putting this new, completely different type of footwear on. How may this affect my foot or how may this affect my training style or, you know, even my health as I start to run on concrete or asphalt in shoes that don't have any anything but, you know, a shin thin sheath of rubber between my foot and the ground and, you know, the, the potential threats that that can have. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, it's, it's on us to educate, um, the consumer, but as a movement, I think it's, it's very good and, and can definitely be a useful tool, not a magic bullet to, you know, really helping the athlete to become better at what they do. Right. Is it the challenge from a company point of view, kind of designing all of these shoes past five, 10, 15, 20 years with kind of the message that cushion, more cushion is good. You need kind of cushioning under, under your feet when you run. And then this whole movement now, even I believe you guys have a minimalist shoe as well. Like how do you kind of reconcile these two philosophies in your product line? To be truthful, if, if you look at a product breadth from, you know, an entire range standpoint, so there's going to be stability, um, foam, which is very dense and, and helps with motion control on one extreme. And then you have you know, a barefoot running shoe on the other extreme. And then there are products that almost if you line them up, you can progressively see, you know, the, the, the cushioning or the, or the foam getting lower and lower and lower. And, you know, other call outs are starting to happen that we've inserted this technology to be able to compensate for this. And we put this in this shoe and this in that shoe. But I, I don't think it's, it's necessarily that each one is a gimmick in and of itself. But I think each product actually came from a need in the market. So if you look at all the products, a stability shoe may have been created for someone who doesn't have the desire to want to, you know, change their running gait or to change their foot strike or strengthen, you know, any part of their lower body. They just want to go out and run because they're on time constraints and they don't have time, you know, to, to work out or anything else. So they just want to grab this running shoe, but they have some knee pain and it, and it's caused from, uh, you know, severe overpronation. So, you know, we've decided to put this foam in there to help correct and, and, and almost put that gate into a neutral foot strike. So, you know, that isn't necessarily a gimmick in that it, it actually helps someone do what they want to do and do it relatively pain-free and help them become injury-free in doing what they're doing, you know. But we also understand that there are, as we go down the line, those that progressively focus more and more on on their art form or their sport 
And by doing that, they focus on a lot more parts of it, um, strength and conditioning, uh, foot strike, form, all of this stuff. So almost as you go down to the barefoot level, which is um, almost for the, the most neutral forefoot striker, and this is coming from a running perspective, you're going to have that product that caters to the person that has a little more knowledge or understands the, the interconnectedness of biomechanics and form and strength and conditioning and other parts of that of that sport that that allow them to be able to to train or compete in that ultra lightweight, ultra flexible, almost barefoot esque shoe. But at the same time, they can compete next to that guy who's, like you said, the weekend warrior. You know, who may have, you know, all these other issues going on stemming from different things. And this this very cushion stability shoe helps them with that. I think that all of these products cater to a specific consumer type and they all have a purpose. Otherwise they wouldn't necessarily be there. You know, it'd almost be um, Darwinist at that point in that, you know, each shoe would just fall out of the market because they wouldn't be purchased and, you know, we'd be putting money behind it and they just wouldn't be selling through and there's just no need to, to keep that shoe around. So I think that you see all these technologies stay around because they, they fulfill a purpose and they fulfill a need. Um, you know, whether some person thinks that that need is ridiculous and, and, you know, isn't a true running shoe, you know, I think if you put one foot in front of the other in a very fast set or pace, um, you're running. running. So okay. technically you're a runner. So, you know, who is it for someone else to say that you're not a runner? Yeah. So I guess it's, I guess it comes back to what you were saying earlier about, about education, the right shoe for the right running style, the right runner, I think it's an important match to make. Have you have you started to I guess decrease the foam beneath your foot? <laughs> I've I've understood and actually I'm coming off of my right foot being operated on in March and my left foot being operated on here in another month to correct foot strength issues or, or issues that resulted from foot strength. So it's almost like I was I was turned on the hard way. Um and you know, other people have different ailments that come, you know, hip or knee or back issues that come from um, you know, having underdeveloped muscle systems, but um, as a, as a aspiring jumper in college, I I was beating up my feet far more than they could handle pounding that I was putting on them when jumping. So um, I've almost seen the benefits of lowering the amount of space between my foot and the ground and making my foot work a little harder um, each time that I go out there. Um, within reason, though, I mean, I, I don't want to create some, another problem because I want to drop yeah, from. You know, an inch and a half of foam down to the ground right away. Um, you know, it's 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 an easing in process. I mean, you're going to ease your out your easier way out of smoking. You're going to ease your way out of you know a cast, and and you'll have physical therapy to decrease your. And those are all slow processes. So yeah, personally, I've I've started to decrease the amount of cushioning that I have, and I think that there's a sweet spot where you realize that you know at this point in my development or even my age. You know, one shoe is not really right for me because either there's too much shoe in it or that there's not enough support or cushioning and, and there's a sweet spot that each athlete hits. And for me right now, um, that's going to be somewhere between a, a marathon flat to a marathon trainer. And that's kind of where my sweet spot is right now. Um, but, you know, I do do other things um, like walk certain distances or other things more in, in a barefoot shoe or even just in my bare feet uh, just to, to help build up those muscles. To, to start to, to help my transformation to maybe something even thinner than what I'm, I'm in now. And, you know, who knows where that'll take me. And I think there's tons of variables that affect an athlete far more than just the product. So 
for now anyway, I'm going to continue to, to decrease until I, I kind of find that sweet spot where it's, it's almost a net loss for me to go any lower. As, as we uh, approach a close, are there, any, uh, are there any new things we should check out from the three stripes presently or, or coming up? Any well, as, as my great colleague Jim Jennings would say, um, 2012 is going to be an Olympic year. <laughs> and an Olympic year is where companies like to show off what they got and what they have and what's new and what's the best and what's the most innovative technologies. Um, there are a number of technologies that we have coming up for the Olympics and, you know, maybe you know more about the World Cup than I do um, in terms of products coming out for that. But I think that the things that we have coming out are pretty cool. Um, I'm trying to think of ones that I can actually talk to you about. There's some innovation uh, in... Uh, materials. There's some materials innovation that you would actually be interested about um, that that have kind of spawned from um, like really forefront research that that is done in in other industries, and and that'll be pretty cool. So look on the track for 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 some new technologies um, there. See, I'm trying to think what other what other hot things are coming out. Well, going 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 the other direction. If you can't think of any, are there any things from from the business side that you think would be cool to, to see coming up through the technology side? Things, yeah, I things think that actually... Things you'd like to see in the future. I, I, from a business standpoint, I really want to see how this how the barefoot market pans out. Um, you know, toning was a big deal. I don't know if, if how, oh, yeah, how, you guys are, how first you guys are on toning, but um, Skechers came out with a product. Reebok was the, the initial pioneer of this toning. It was a product that was developed back in the 80s called Easy Tone. Essentially, the thought was is that you could wear the shoe and, you know, you could burn some calories in your butts and thighs and you'd have this great looking ass um, and, and you'd only have to buy a shoe for that. Um, and so I'm interested to see if this barefoot market starts to fizzle out because consumers are paying um, a fairly high dollar for a little bit of material um, that they might be able to get the same usefulness elsewhere. I'm not sure if, if the consumer will do that. Um, or we'll see any value in it. I'm interested in, in seeing how this whole thing pans out because personally, I think that the movement is good for athletes, but I'm, you know, the consumers are the one that ultimately talk because they're the ones with the, the checking accounts and, and the cash flow that are, that are making these things possible. So yeah, I think, I think barefoot's an interesting market. Um, visible technology is always going to be around. Um, but I haven't seen too many innovations from, or innovations that have caught on. Um, I think Lunar's done pretty well for Nike in that you can you can see something different in the midsole, but mm-hmm. you know, no one really knows quite, at least from a consumer standpoint, why Lunar's, you know, an awesome foam. They just know it's an awesome foam. Because, mm-hmm. you know, price and, and marketing had shown that it's, you know, it's it's the next cool thing. Um, so yeah, visible technology is something I'd be interested in seeing. You know, if if we we're we're coming out with something um you know, a couple clicks down the road for, for visible technology. And I think that that um, will be something that, that will be pretty cool to see pan out as well. So I, I think Barefoot and VizTech will be interesting to watch in terms of if, it, if it's an up and down cycle or if it, if it is just a true bell curve and that we've, you know, at some point we'll hit our peak and then start to, start to pan down. Another, another question um, kind of along that, you mentioned the visible technologies is, is something that's Quite important for for a company. Is there a fair amount of development that happens without um, a show or without without visible technologies or Im- improvements in the foam or the the compounds and things that that make a better product but aren't necessarily advertised? 
Oh yeah. I mean, I think in, in innovations and I remember us having a conversation a couple of, of months prior to, to this, to where we, you know, discussed a little bit about, you know, the, the next innovations and the, and the next, um, products that, that will hit the market that, you know, no one will really know what the innovation is unless it's really called out. And I think, um, yeah, uh, midsole compounds is definitely something and specifically foam because, you know, foam is, foam can be very versatile, but at the same point, it has its limitations and its usefulness within sport. So I think that, yeah, the, the more, um, intuitive, but technologically advanced foams that come out, um, you know, the, the better it is. And there can definitely be times where, you know, if, if we innovate or someone innovates a new foam technology and we put it in a shoe, the, the consumer could, you know, initially step into it, you know, kind of put up on their toes a little bit, kind of do a couple of, uh, of cap raises and, you know, run a couple steps down the, down the way in the store and be like, wow, this is a really different feel. I really like it. But at the same time, until, until we say, Hey, this is a new foam. This is something that, you know, we, we really want you to know about. You're not going to really find someone saying, Hey, is this, you know, is this EVA or is this a different type of compound that, <laughs> that, you know, they put into this is it, you just, you just typically don't find that in the average consumer, at least in the U S. Um, and, and I, I don't imagine that, that differing too much, um, in other parts, but yeah, I think that, that foam can be a very important part, but yeah, again, it comes back to that education and, and making people understand just, you know, what is in it and why it's new and why it's great and why you're paying, you know, that much more for a shoe that you might see the value in in another shoe. Thank you, Brooks, and thank you, listeners. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Remember to check out our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. If you have a comment or question about the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. You can email us at info at sportstechnologypodcast.com. Bye.